Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 114 of the Tech Intersect podcast on this May 10th, 2022. I'm just back from a fantastic road trip through North Carolina to begin chronicling my financial ancestry on my mother's side of the family tree to connect to the cooperative economics my family and community were forced into when they couldn't get banking services from the local bank. I even stayed in a bank-turned-hotel that was likely the centerpiece of savings and loans in that small town in Kinston, so more on that later. My ancestors' struggles then of being unbanked or underbanked were the seeds of familiar systemic issues today, so I believe the future of wealth begins with a look at the past Stay tuned for more on this topic in the future, including articles and a book. I definitely have a story to tell. I was also in North Carolina to celebrate the 40th birthday of a great friend, the amazing Rachel Rogers, author of one of my favorite books, We Should All Be Millionaires, and founder of Hello7 that has empowered thousands of women to reach a seven-figure sustainable income. We also came together to raise money for her foundation, Hello7, the foundation, which provides funding for life-changing and life-saving services to black mothers in need. Please join me in supporting the foundation by visiting hello7.org for more information and to get behind this important mission for essential services, which are more important now than ever as the Supreme Court prepares to overturn Roe v. Wade and leave the decision to the states of whether to support reproductive freedom or to criminalize choice. Strange days, strange times. We are the ones we seek. Please get involved, stay connected. And remember, the future we all enjoy tomorrow begins with us today. All right, on to this episode. So in this episode, I welcome U.S. congressional candidate Maxwell Frost, Running in the 10th District of Florida, he represents the new generation running for office in the midterm elections. Maxwell is a 20-something Dem. He is the youngest candidate running for Florida's 10th Congressional District and is a member of Gen Z, defined as those born after 1996. But trust me when I tell you, Maxwell is an old soul. He's an old soul with broad, progressive, and expansive ideas about gun violence, health care for all, environmental protections, LGBTQ plus rights, and the economic justice principles that can be protected and nurtured in the crypto asset and DeFi ecosystem. And of course, it is this last topic in particular, which led me to invite Maxwell on the show. 
I was also recently appointed to his Blockchain and Crypto Advisory Council as he continues to explore the landscape. So I'm really excited to share our conversation with you. Before we hop into the app, a quick reminder on digital safety. I had a very successful free masterclass last week. If you missed it, go to AdvantageEvans.com to look for the next time that I actually run that. It'll be coming up soon. I haven't confirmed a date yet, but go to AdvantageEvans.com for more information. And look, there are a lot of scammers out there on social media impersonating me and other crypto educators and trailblazers, and we need your help. Now hear this, I will never slide into your DMs to say peace or blessings or uh, to ask you for your time or your money. I'm a little busy as a tenured professor, a professional speaker and licensed attorney. I repeat, I will never slide into your DMs to ask for a follow or for you to send money so that I can invest ever. So be careful, make good choices. And remember, I developed an entire free masterclass, secureyourcryptobag.com. You can find it at secureyourcryptobag.com and also at advantageevans.com. So check those sites for more information. Let's stay safe in these social media streets. Okay, now that we're clear, please take a moment to follow this podcast and then like, share, and comment so that others who would benefit from the content can find it. It's time to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. Welcome, 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 everyone. In this episode of Tech Intersect, I am really, really excited to have Maxwell Frost join us today. I became familiar with Maxwell and his mission as candidate for he can tell us, but I, as I understand it, at least initially was a quite crowded Democratic primary field as he announced his candidacy to run for Representative Val Demings, Florida District House seat. The primary is coming up in August of 2022, but if elected, Maxwell could be among the first members of Generation Z to be elected to the House And I'm just really excited to connect and to hear about the future of representation, specifically around issues of economic and social justice. This sounds like it lands squarely at the feet and at the heart of Maxwell Frost. We will get into all of that in a moment. But first, Maxwell, welcome. Thank you so much, Professor Tonya, for having me on here. Really excited to discuss through Uh, my story, answer your questions. And again, thank you so much. Absolutely. So at the outset, and as in the spirit of full disclosure, I now will get the great honor of working with you in the future as serving as one of your crypto and blockchain advisory council advisors. We'll talk more about that. But as far as I know, it's the first of its kind for a congressional candidate, at least a public facing council. And I'm so excited about that and to support you on your journey. But first, I want to hear about your life before politics. You have your life ahead of you. Why would you do this to yourself? We'll talk about your life before (laughs) politics, and then we will talk about why Congress, why now? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, that's a great question and one, you know, that I answer all the time and one that I've been wrestling with, to be honest, and one that's kind of slightly changed a lot. I'll tell you, for me, um, 
I, I feel like I was born a very lucky child. Uh, mm. There was always music in the house. My father's a full-time musician. It's funny because my, my father is a white guy from Kansas who plays the steel pans full-time because he was <laughs> raised in Bermuda because he was part of an Air Force family. My mm. mother came here from Cuba during the freedom flights in the late 1960s, uh, didn't know a lick of English and had to go through middle and high school and learn English at the same time. She's yeah. a Yeah, she's a special ed teacher now. She's actually retiring next year. I feel like, you know, my life has been a, a sense of luck. And the reason I say that is because I was actually adopted at birth. Mm. Um, you know, my biological mother um, is someone who had gone through some very rough times and someone that because of the zip code she was born into had been involved in a cycle of poverty, drugs, crime. Um, and it's not something I blame her for because, you know, we know how these systems work. We know that a lot of the times the zip code you're born into can dictate the outcome of your life. And that's a right. big reason why I'm running for Congress, but I'll talk more about that later. And so for me, I grew up normal kid, go, you know, going to school. My parents got me a drum set in the second grade. It changed my life. I'm a, still a drummer. Music is mm. a huge part of my life. I actually went to an arts high school and middle school. No, it's not like high school musical, but it's pretty damn close. <laughs> <laughs> I always, people always ask, were y'all dancing and singing during lunchtime? <laughs> no. If we were dancing, singing during lunchtime, I might have got a detention. But how about uh, that? <laughs> but it was a great experience nonetheless. And, and you know, to be honest, in middle school and in elementary school, I wasn't the best kid, right? Mm. Um, it's not that I was bad. It's just that I always wanted to make people laugh. And I always had a lot of energy and I didn't know how to direct it. Mm. Music changed my life because when you're in band class, nothing else matters except the notes on the page. And you're a part of a bigger group, right? A bigger ensemble. And you feel a sense of responsibility. And for me, sitting down in front of a drum set or snare drum or marimba, having that piece of music and feeling like I'm a part of something bigger than myself completely changed my life and helped me personally redirect my energy from, I mean, don't get me wrong, I still love to make people laugh, <laughs> right. but, but you know, from, from being someone who's more disruptive and, and, and that to being someone who can focus on what I want to focus on, which is changing the world through music and movement building and politics. And mm. I've intentionally made my life goal very broad because I believe that when it's broad like that, we have more opportunity for change and less being fixated on a specific position, right? It's not, right. oh, I don't want to be a member of, or I want to be a member of Congress, but I don't, right? <laughs> my, my goal isn't to become president of the United States. My goal is to help people. And as long right. as I wake up every single day making decisions in service of that, I can be happy with myself. And, and, and you know, that is pretty much my life before politics. Everything changed when I was 15 years old, which I know is pretty young to get involved in this work. But that mm. for me is what, what changed everything. And I hear a lot of community-based thoughts. I hear that you have leadership in you, but you also are really focused on and invested in others coming along in you. So I hear service, I hear leadership, I hear community. And so that is exactly the type of voice that we need, particularly at such a time as this with the hyper-partisanship and the divisiveness politicizing issues like healthcare that shouldn't be politicized. And I see in your platform, the echoings of that leadership community as well. I see social, racial, and economic justice threads, uh, certainly your work and focus on gun violence, um, healthcare, which also is a matter of gun violence, but obviously also in the midst of the pandemic, but you were doing work 
in that space even before the pandemic, and then certainly the environment. I list them as individual things, but there's a lot of overlap and and a lot of connection. Talk us through why those are all such important and pressing concerns for you, why you're so passionate and invested in solving those issues, clearly for Floridians, but also for Americans. Yeah, that's an amazing question. And you know, for, for folks to know, um, and like you just said, we launched with four different things, gun violence, healthcare, reimagining public safety, which is criminal justice reform, and environmental justice. Um, there's obviously many issues that people care about that they believe in. These are the four we launched with a, for a very specific reason. You know, something that I've, especially over the last, I would say, five years have, have come to terms with and I've understood is that there's a reason why issues tend to be siloed. And what I mean by that is when we talk about gun violence, we're usually talking about background checks, banning assault weapons. When we talk right. about criminal justice reform, what are we talking about? We're usually talking about police training or something like that, right? There's usually very specific policies and goals associated with specific issues, which isn't a problem in and of itself. But I realize this doing a lot of work in gun violence, because gun violence is an issue where Yes, there's a prescribed policy changes that can help, but when you really get into the communities, when you really do the work, you start to understand that it's a convoluted issue that has many different solutions and many different causes. And what you become obsessed with is the root causes. And when you start talking with folks who actually commit gun violence, people who use guns, right? People who might have killed someone before, someone who might have used a gun in a robbery, you start to learn that most, and, and statistics prove this too, most gun violence, actually, they're, they're crimes of condition. And what mm. I mean by that is people who have been pushed to the brink where they feel like, wow, for me to solve this problem, for me to feed my family, for me to get ahead in life, for me to get out of this neighborhood, for me to whatever, I need to use a gun to solve this problem. Right. And they've been pushed to that. Now, I'm not saying gun violence is okay. I'm not excusing gun violence. But for me, especially as I want to become a legislator, we have to look at things holistically. So when we take a step back, we see that, oh, wait, when people have a dignified wage, they're less likely to use a gun to solve their problem. When people have health care, they're less likely to solve a gun to use their problem. When people live somewhere that they can be proud of and they have the money to feed their family, they can go fill their prescriptions, they don't have to worry about going to jail just because they're poor, they're less likely to use a gun to solve their problem. Mm -hmm. And then when you start thinking like that, you start connecting the dots. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I used to work for this organization called March for Our Lives. Um, It is the organization that came out of the shooting that happened in Parkland, Florida. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know if folks remember, there was a specific student at the time. Her name was Emma Gonzalez. Now their name is X Gonzalez. But they said, we call BS. And uh, either way, I I remember when I first got hired, I went to a dinner at their house. And I was in their room and I saw that what they had done is they did this kind of experiment art piece where they took a bunch of post-it notes and wrote down all the issues they can think of. Mm. And then they put it up on the wall in a big circle. And then... They took like string and connected all the issues where they saw direct connections. And at the end of it, they took a step back and it looked like one big solid circle. Everything was so connected. Mm -hmm. That's what this platform is about. 
It's recognizing that to end gun violence, we need to solve health care, that to solve health care, we need to work on things like getting citizens united and, and election reform. Right. Um, mm-hmm. it, it means that we also need to work at, you know, ensuring that we are being sustainable and taking care of our environment and making sure people have clean water, because if people can't trust the water they drink. How can we inspire them to go out and fight for other issues as well? And it's looking at these things holistically. That's why I've launched with these four issues and why we're going to continue to roll out these issues and why we talk about this in a very nuanced way. I'll tell you something, Professor, like something that many folks and consultants, different people have told me is stick to the brass tacks, stick stick to the things that you know, people know, keep the issues siloed, try not to get too convoluted about it. But what mm-hmm. I've found is that we could talk about these things in a very basic way that makes sense and people understand it and they love to hear about the issues that way. Why? Because they live it that way and they know that it's all connected. And that's why we're running on those issues. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. We hope you're enjoying this edition of Tech Intersect. Our conversation will continue in a moment, but first, a word on an exciting opportunity. If you've tried to figure out crypto, DeFi, and NFTs on your own on YouTube University or Podcast College, and all you have to show for it are a lot of questions, but little, if any, forward progress, I invite you to visit AdvantageEvans.com to get the answers you've been searching for about how to buy, store, and trade crypto and NFTs, and to access DeFi safely, legally, and confidently. Advantage Evans Academy offers everything from full-service VIP onboarding to prof-guided on-demand and cohort-based courses, as well as an engaging, informative, and supportive membership club, AE Explore Live, for as little as just $1 a day. This club is for you if you want to learn from well-respected crypto education experts, like me, transform your relationship with money, generate wealth in the new digital cash economy, create digital ownership streams that lead to generational wealth, learn to bet, buy, store, trade, earn, and sell cryptocurrencies, engage in DeFi to lend and leverage your crypto, create, buy, and trade creative and collectible NFTs, and network with other crypto-curious enthusiasts in an inclusive environment. You'll gain all of that and more in a wonderful community of like-minded, lifelong learners ready to get in and to win. If that sounds like you, join us. Visit AdvantageEvans.com to get immediate access to the resources you need and deserve. That's AdvantageEvans.com. Let's go and let's grow. And now, back to the conversation. It's a powerful statement and, and a reminder because, you know, some people can think that politics happens over there or for other people, particularly when you're talking about 
a lot of the federal issues, things that tend to play themselves out on the news. But a lot of the news really is focused on the local connection to folks in their homes and about rent and about work and about safety and healthcare all of and the environment all of those things uh, directly impact people in their homes where they are right now but if if our federal leadership is not bridging the divide between the conversations that go on in DC and those that go on at that proverbial and actual kitchen table that's going to be the way that you can move the needle If people do care, but if they feel disconnected, then we lose the energy and we lose the reality that we're all connected. Exactly. And so I love so much the way you've described it because the issues are connected because we're connected. And it requires uh, the type of leadership that I think that you bring into this conversation. Obviously, and switching to my favorite topic in the world, as everyone who is a listener of Tech Intersect will know, is the future of work, wealth, and creativity. And specifically, when I think about wealth building in one generation that then spills over and has a carryover effect into the next generation... Uh, even though I was very, I was cautiously optimistic, but certainly critiquing uh, crypto assets, generally Bitcoin. And at the time, quite early on, I was actually writing about non-fungible tokens before it was the cool thing to talk about, uh, just to see, you know, what does this mean for systemically marginalized populations? And I just had to sit with it. I had to figure out, first of all, what the technology is, in order to understand why it would be so transformative, given my understanding of the issues of folks being locked out of meaningful participation in income and wealth building, and then enter the scene, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And at first, I wasn't decidedly focused on the asset itself, but on the technology that drives it, and really understanding that Web3, which is what we call it now, is this accelerated and efficient movement of value that has an egalitarian focus, or at least the, pro- the the promise of it. And that propelled me to learn more. And as we were talking, you know, over these last few weeks, I heard that in you, the idea of, well, let's see what this is as a matter of economic justice. And so talk about the story that led you to even wanting to form the council, and then we'll talk about the council and kind of what your vision is for it going forward. No, that, that's an amazing question. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I've been asked this by a good amount of people because especially my friends who, you know, have seen me roll out this council and have sent me a text saying, Max, I've never heard you talk about crypto before. <laughs> you know? and, and I want to be clear, it's not because I've ever really been anti-crypto. I just have never looked into it. And, you know, obviously we are in the midst of a lot of discussion and policy discussion I obviously come from a very progressive background. I'm a very progressive person, and there tends to be some skepticism towards Mm -hmm. uh, cryptocurrency um, in in that community that I'm a part of, and probably a lot of that was kind of embedded with me. I'll be honest, I'm a skeptic about a skeptic right. about everything. My father, mm-hmm. I grew up, my father is a hardcore atheist and my mother's a hardcore Baptist. So I grew up mm. <laughs> skeptic about everything. But, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what changed things for me, Professor, was actually uh, being in my community. And, and what I found is when I'm out knocking doors, when I'm out speaking with folks, I've seen a growing number of community-based organizations right here in Orlando. Now, I'm not even saying, oh, in my state, no, no, in my city, in my district, mm-hmm. um, and people who are using 
um, and teaching cryptocurrency and blockchain and what this all means and this innovative technology to folks in our poorest zip codes as an avenue to not just build wealth, which obviously is a, is a big part of it, but also teach people how to learn. Right. Um, and gives people something to be excited about, um, which I think, you know, if, if folks want to take a stroll in, in the projects of their community, they'll see that there a lot of times there's not a lot to be excited about. And, mm. you know, I've gotten um, uh, calls and texts and, and a lot of these folks who run these uh, organizations have reached out to me um, and said, listen, we want to talk with you about this. It's been ignored for 10 years in the U.S. government, and we mm -hmm. just want to talk with you about it. So. I met with them at some of their facilities, met with folks, uh, you know, just kind of walking down the street and talking about the classes they're giving. I even sat in on a little bit of one. And, and what I saw was honestly something that I think is amazing um, and and something that really piqued my interest. So it was from there that I said, well, I, I need to read up on this. I need to learn about it. And for me, and, and you probably know this from our, our conversation together, but folks who don't know me, when I lean into something, I lean in. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not just going to go online and read a few articles um, and I'm doing that. But I want to talk with human beings who are doing the work because mm -hmm. I, I truly believe that real leaders admit when they don't know things and then they lean in and ensure that they know it the next time they're asked about it. And for me, I wanted to make sure that I put together a you know, we put together this crypto and blockchain advisory council. It is the first of its kind for a congressional campaign. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping other candidates make counsels for this issue and other issues as well so they can learn and, and, and dig in. And so we have, you know, folks from the academic side and you know, we're honored to have you on it. We have people who work in the crypto industry. We have policy folks. We also have people who are big um, on the environmental impacts. We have the former president of the League of Conservation Voters on the, on the council. We have progressive folks on the council. Um, so that way we can have a very informed discussion about how we move forward, because I truly believe that crypto can be something that, in, and blockchain, something that's really used for good. And, and I think when we come to the table together, we can talk about the policy implications and ensure that that, thing, that, that happens, right? And so that's why we're excited about it. Absolutely. I, I love that so much because this, you know, you mentioned the word holistic earlier, the holistic approach to crypto policy and blockchain policy is critical because we really are watching the tension right now with this nascent asset class and this emerging technology that is not isolated to a particular border. It doesn't respect borders. Yep. It take you know, it's, it's shifting our mindset to truly being global. We've been talking about it for decades, of course, but this technology is really, this plus the pandemic has really brought to the fore this idea of connectedness and not just for purposes of communication, but of empowerment to perhaps level the playing field in ways that the legacy gatekeepers have prevented. It's, just, it's a matter of, of transparency. It's a matter of access. It's a matter of iterating collectively, holistically, as you mentioned. And so I'm, I'm really excited about all of the voices at the table that get to inform not only our future leaders, but I hope and encourage others who are perhaps incumbents to also pay attention. This is more than, and this has been my experience, uh, so I offer this to you and, and our listeners as well, that folks will take a meeting and then at the end of that 60 minutes or 90 minutes and a couple of emails hope to have a good position on it. 
this is not that type of technology exactly. because it has a far greater impact than being prepared for the next presser. Exactly. Right. And so your approach to it is actually respecting your process, respecting your future constituents. I'm speaking that into existence, <laughs> but also <Love> it. <laughs> serving as a template, a, a blueprint for what is possible for emerging leaders and also those who are already in positions. I'm wondering if that, that resonates with you. No, no, it does. It does. And, and this is really a model that should be used for many different subjects and issues. And, and like you said, right, a, a meeting and a couple articles, it's not enough to fully understand, I would say, any issue, especially one. Fair. With, yeah. And, but, but especially to your point, especially one with technology like crypto and, and blockchain and Web3. And when we talk about these innovative technologies, which are changing on a daily basis, right? The conversation's always kind of shifting and changing. We a council, the good thing about this is that we're constantly going to be in fellowship, constantly going to be talking um, to what you said before, once I'm in office, continuing the conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so this is always a living, breathing thing, right? And, and so that's something that I believe is important for all leaders to lean into. It's okay to ask for help. We need leaders who ask for help and who, you know, brings folks in who have different expertise. And I'm really excited about this council. I'm really excited to lean in. I'm, I'm a very pro um, innovation technology candidate, even high school is a part of something called the TSA Technology Student Association, which was really important to me. And uh, I think we have some great opportunities here. And for folks listening, you know, things aren't always black and white, right? It's not like I'm saying, oh, yes. I'm, uh, yes, pro crypto, everyone do what they want, no regulation, no checks. Or, no. And most, right. most people aren't saying that. And it's because we get put into these, uh, you know, where we don't talk to each other and we just complain about things on Twitter that we get drawn into these corners. But when you sit down and you put a committee together and you talk with folks, you start to realize wait, there's folks within the crypto community who are saying, and most of them saying, we do need regulation. We do need to make sure that bad actors are, are, are kept out and that people mm -hmm. are protected. Consumers are protected, that we protect the environment. We just got to come to the table. And like I said, it, you know, folks have been talking about crypto for so long. It's been here for a while. The government, as far as legislation, has been ignoring it for about a decade. And now we're getting into a point where with this executive order and people talking about it, that it's going to be a real thing in our government and we got to talk about it. And so besides just talking about it, I want to learn about it. I want to be as much a, as an authority on the subject as I can be. And that all stems from folks doing it right here in my community. And I want them to know that I'm, I'm here and I'm listening and I'm learning. I think that's really exciting for you, for your, your the constituents of, of Florida, for the citizens of this great country. And I'm honored to be on this journey with you as the, you know, as we continue to develop and, and unfold and really just prepare for the future today. And that gives folks hope because without hope, none of this is possible. Exactly. Um, so, you know, re-engaging with, with possibilities for the future at the intersection of work and wealth, the environment, creativity, and social and economic justice that's meaningful and certainly meaningful for all. And so we need all hands on deck and we need all tools at our disposal. As you said, certainly focused on consumers and investors and the environment. At the same time, I think that we can also support innovation and really avoid every ill and harm that you mentioned while still supporting A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So in closing, what final thoughts will you leave 
with listeners and what's the message that you hope to convey now as we march uh, through 2022 toward your primary and, yeah. and, and, and to the future? Well, you know, I say we, we are in some tough times um, mm-hmm. from, you know, the legislature here in Florida doing egregious things like banning books, banning mm-hmm. people being able to talk about their sexuality at school. We, this news that we got last night that the Supreme Court is poised to get rid of Roe versus Wade abortion in our country. I mean, we are in a battle of politics, but we're also in a battle of culture. And this is something that I always talk about because as a movement-centered organizer, I recognize that a lot of the work that we do as organizers is about hearts and minds, changing hearts and minds. I'll tell you a quick, quick story. I remember a few months ago, I was filling up gas right by my house and a bunch of my buttons fell on the floor and started rolling around. There there was a, a houseless guy there, a homeless man who came up. His name is Josh. And he handed me one and he said, hey, uh, this is yours. He was like, who's Maxwell Frost? And I said, well, that's me. <laughs> so that's me. He said he looked at me weird. And then he asked me about my platform. And I was talking to him about how I believe that we deserve more from our government, that I believe that we you know, deserve health care, um, that we deserve to be able to be healthy. And I remember after I told him this, he looked at me weird. And so everyone knows he's a he's a veteran. He's someone who was a mm-hmm. veteran who came home. He's now homeless. He looked at me weird and he mm-hmm. said, Maxwell, that's all great. But what like what did I do to deserve health care? Mm-hmm. And I remember when he told me that it shattered me. We have a veteran here who is on the streets asking me what he did to deserve health care. And I looked at him and I said, Josh, you deserve to be healthy by virtue of being a human being. And that's mm-hmm. it. That's it. And when I think about all these other issues, being free of gun violence, um, having a justice system that works for everybody, uh, being able to innovate and use new technology to build wealth, these are things we all deserve by virtue of being human. And at the end of the day, we should require nothing more from people living in the richest country on the face of the earth to fight for these things. And that's what I believe. And, you know, I really look up to the late Representative Barbara Jordan, and she said it mm. right. What the people want is simple. A country as great as its promise. And and that's what this campaign's about. Frostforcongress.com. Yes. Frostforcongress.com. You could meet Maxwell. You could learn about the issues and the solutions that he's talked about with us today that he covers in greater detail there. You can volunteer. You can donate. Be the change you want to see. And, and you do that by supporting those who have your best interests at heart. And we have learned a little bit more about Maxwell Frost's heart today. Maxwell, thank you so much for joining me. And I'm happy to be on your journey with you. And thank you so much for spending this time with us. Of course. Thank you, Professor. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Maxwell, for joining me for the show. I'm excited about this new wave of leaders like Maxwell invested in the future of work and wealth creativity, and community, and in crypto and economic justice. So get informed, get engaged, because the future is now, and it begins with us and our realization that we're all connected. We are the ones we've been waiting for, so let's win. Okay, before we sign off, please take a moment to like, comment, and share this episode and this podcast with your networks. Follow me on social media and let me know what topics you'd like to hear more of and who you want to hear from. All right, that's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine. 
stay in touch with host Tanya Evans via your favorite social media on Twitter at at Tech Intersect and on Instagram via the handle Tech Intersect. This podcast has been produced by Stephanie Renee for Soul Sanctuary Incorporated. <laughs>